Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, hello, everybody. It's very good to be here and a special hello to Nick. And I do want to thank you, Nick. I, I wouldn't... I wouldn't have thought I'd be here. So it's a special gift, and I want to thank Nick and for others of you as well who've invited me here. It's lovely to see you all. Um, uh, I've got so much to say. When they first asked me, I thought, oh, I read through Philippians. I thought, I really don't think there's anything I can say. And then the ideas just started, started coming and coming and coming, and I had too much. So I've cut out a lot, and I'll skip a lot of slides, but um, hopefully... Um, it's meaningful. And on that note, I, I do want to um, just commit, it, commit this little sermon to, to God. So, Father God, I do come with a sense of solemnity and humility and with some fear and trembling and... Um, I do want to commit this message to you. I thank you for speaking to me and I pray that um, it'll be meaningful to others here tonight. Um, I thank you for holding us and I pray that message comes through. Amen. Now, um, I actually had another segment, which was not really part of the sermon, but they're bundled together in laminated form. So uh, before I sort of start, I wanted to talk about the artworks that we've put up. Um, now, there's only really three. One of them is a printout off the computer on the window as you go out. And then we've got these two here. And they were both done by Brenton Hill. We're very honoured to have Brenton with us. Thank you, Brenton. Thank you for creating them and for hanging them. Um, it, if you're not familiar with Brenton or his works, you will know that uh, he's put his heart and soul into these and they are part of his story and they're part of our story and they're a story of life with Jesus. And I hope that will become a bit clearer. And I said, Brenton, would you like to explain your artwork or talk about them? And uh, Brenton said, no. So it's up to you. I think that's the way Brenton wants it. However, all three of the artworks we've got up feature ravens or crows. And, um, and so there's something to say about that. Why, why that? And the title of the sermon, what kind of bird are you? So, ravens and crows, um, in the Bible, there's a couple of mentions. I'll just mention one. So in Noah's Ark, there was the raven. And Noah, when, they, when the waters started to recede, Noah sent the raven out. And it just went to and fro over the water and couldn't really find a place to land. It's inherently restless to me. Uh, I think eventually it went away and didn't come back. Which probably means it was feasting on a carcass or something. In the Adelaide Hills, well, I've, we see them around the place. I find them aloof. They're often solitary. We have one that comes to our house, yet they can be quite social birds. 
Um, they, they watch from a distance. We feed the magpies and the crow only turns up once we've been feeding the magpies. It's been watching and waiting. They're sort of a dark presence. They feel a bit like a drone. I don't know if you've ever been out in the backyard and a drone flies over. It's like sort of a little bit spooky, a little bit dystopian. Uh, they, and they probably have a whole lot of folklore around that, actually. Um, they seem rebellious. They're very smart. They have a very good memory and they'll remember you, your face. You can teach them to talk. Charles Dickens and Edgar Allan Poe, two writers, both kept a raven as a pet and they taught it to talk and it was a companion with, for them. They're inventive, mischievous, quarrelsome, curious, playful, affectionate. They can be aggressive. They may eat baby birds out of other birds' nests. They'll remember you if you treat them well or if you hurt them. And they're often misunderstood. And I know that I'll often shoo hours away. I just don't really want it there. It's interesting. In art, they represent people because what I've just described is pretty much like us. And so they often represent people. Uh, they may also represent the artist, him or herself. Um, they may represent me and they may represent you. They can be a kind of mirror to our soul. So that's ravens. And we'll come back to ravens. Okay, now the clicker. Yes. Okay, this is a little acknowledgement of country that came across my computer at work. I'm a speech pathologist, and so we often encourage people to communicate with children with communication difficulties through visuals, and this is quite a common little series. And um, gee, doesn't it simplify things? We acknowledge land belongs to traditional owners. Bang. Or boom, as they say. Um, and we do. We acknowledge that this land has traditional owners and the sovereignty over it was never ceded, which makes it occupied currently. We pay our respect, respect to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Island people, people who might be here tonight and we thank them so much for coming. This is what I'm going to cover. Be true to the word. Live and embrace, not someone else's. Live out of your faith, live out your faith in fear and trembling. And what kind of bird are you? So, the first one, now in red. Um, now, Chelsea's going to help me with some reading. And Chelsea, you're welcome to read from there, but if you do, you won't be in the Ethernet. The audio will be, okay. So, here's the first one from Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge 
that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Thank you, Charles. There we go. All right. Paul, I think, does three things. He gives a summary of what Jesus did, and we'd have to say that's absolutely great. Um, This is probably the main thing I think he does. That God should come and be with us, one of us, born of a teenage girl in a barn, a carpenter's son, and also the son of God, also actually God, and that he showed us how to love and revealed God to us, became a refugee, was scorned, rejected, hated by men, tortured, killed, and risen again. That's actually an amazing thing, and that's great. I don't think we often have a problem with that because it's just so brill. Next one. Um, the, the second thing Paul does is that he, this, is, this is really, this description of Jesus is couched within a, a little um, exhortation for us to be like Jesus in our dealings with each other. So he's saying, within the church, try and be like Jesus. And really, you know, I, not very many people would have a problem with that. Oh, I think this clicker has a delay. There we go. Oh. <laughs> there we go. So, first one is great. The next one, okay, I'll try and be humble with my church. Selfless even. Now, the third thing really goes sort of be through all Philippians and through all of Paul, really. And I missed Chip's one, but I'm sure he covered a lot of this because this is Paul. And uh, Paul takes it takes this sort of attitude beyond his dealing with the church and he sort of takes it everywhere. He's sort of going everywhere with this selfless uh, attitude. Oh, and in fact, this is represented. Chels, there you go. Philippians 3 verses 10 and 11. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so, somehow, attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So, we need to remember that Paul was in pretty dire circumstances when he wrote all this. But still, uh, maybe I'm forgetting that, but it just seems quite extreme to me. He's basically saying, I want to die for Jesus. Uh, and And here's another one that's somewhat similar. Philippians 1, 20-22. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you. That I remain in the body. So Paul is basically saying, live or die, oh, it's sort of a toss-up. Um, and so, um, you know, we can read this and we can think, yep, this is sort of good, you know. Uh, and I think if we're not careful, some, uh, uh, you know, we can, we can say this looks like a very, very high bar. Um, 
but uh, Paul's exhortation to this sort of extreme position, to me, it often feels like too much. Paul seems to be saying, in Christ we are invulnerable, we're invincible. So all we need is bravery. Instead of feeling vulnerable, we just need to be brave. Um, And so the very high bar can uh, change, can morph into a bit of self-judgment when we perceive a knowledge realisation gap. And I think um, uh, Jess spoke to us about our new identity in Christ and sometimes we, we know it, but there's a gap between what we know and what we realise. And that gap can create some problems with us, particularly if we have the word should. And Paul uses that word should, although remember he's talking about how we should relate with each other. But we see him and we see other things and get other messages in life, and that word should can become... Something of a curse sometimes, I think. Um, If you think you should be more for Jesus than you are, then you can conclude that you're not good enough for Jesus. Uh, We might conclude that God has left us behind or left us in the dark. It's all right for them, but for some reason I'm outside the fold. I feel that way. We might think we're rejects or weaklings. We might get angry at ourselves. We can feel fake. That's something that can step into this gap. It's just trying harder. We may even conclude that God must not be real after all. We can get angry at God. If I can't manage God, then maybe God isn't even real can see there's lots of errors in that but I think it's human nature I love this next picture so much if it will come on there we go when you read Philippians and uh, you're working out of your own Christianity perhaps you can pick yourself in this picture Are you excited, stunned, fearful? Are you in denial? Are you worried? Are you keen? Maybe you're two things at once. And underneath that that fisting sort of arm, there's a girl in the background there. So excited, but look at her clenched fist. Um, And we can be multiple things at once. I love these two girls at the front. Uh, you know, the, the one snuggling in seems to be saying, stay with me, Audrey. <laughs> but, but Audrey doesn't exactly look like a rock at this moment. <laughs> uh, now, all this starts to make me think of the guy on the next slide. I'll push it again. There he is. Now, does anyone know who that is? Me? Who is it? <laughs> it's Keith Green. Now he was a very, very he was a very, very famous Christian singer from the 70s and 80s. Why are you all laughing? It doesn't look like me. Um, and uh, now he was not only something of a Christian rock star, 
he was also something very much of a prophet. And not the prophet, the kind of prophet who tells the future, but the kind of prophet who tells it how it is. And he would tell this to the church. And um, he was just formidable and frankly scary. And basically uh, the message he often sent was, you are a bunch of lazy Christians. He said a lot of other really, really good things. And I had a love-hate relationship with him um, because that message I ran away from, but there were so many other good ones. So I'm going to share a couple with you. Um, He was also very much an evangelist to the point where he would say, why are you all here? Jesus has told you to go. There's the door. Like, this is hard to hear. I can feel the emotion now of, of a prophet saying, Go on, you don't belong here. Um, So, an interesting chap. This is one of his album covers. No compromise. Oh, it sounds so good. And there's the picture of um, Daniel standing up, defying the decree to bow uh, to the the earthly king. Um, he wrote this song, Asleep in the, in the Light. So I'm going to read it to you now, but just brace yourselves. Do you see, do you see all the people sinking down? Don't you care? Don't you care? Are you going to let them drown? How can you be so numb not to care if they come? You close your eyes and you pretend the job's done. Oh, bless me, Lord, bless me, Lord. You know, it's all I ever hear. No one aches, no one hurts, no one even sheds one tear. But he cries, he weeps, he bleeds, and he cares for your needs, and you just lay back and keep soaking it in. Can't you see it's such sin? Because he brought people to your door and you turn them away as you smile to them and say, God bless you, be at peace. And all of heaven just weeps because Jesus came to your door and you left him out on the street. Open up, open up and give yourself away. You see the need, you hear the cries, so how can you delay? God's calling and you're the one, but like Jonah, you run. He's told you to speak, but you keep holding it in. Can't you see it's such sin? The world is sleeping in the dark that the church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. How can you be so dead when you've been so well fed? Jesus rose from the grave and you, you can't even get out of bed. So this is his song. Can you see why I loved it so? So this should, uh, can be burdensome. It can, it, it, we, can, we can develop an idea of what we should be. We can hear it told to us and it can be burdensome. Both Paul and Keith Green seem to think that uh, you just do it like Nike and then later on uh, you can count the cost. And what's the worst that can happen? We're invincible. To live is Christ and to death is gain. So here's a little clip for you about what it seems to be like to me. Oh, that's too far. It's gone too. That one. There we go. Thanks, Marty. In today's practice, everyone tried partner tricks. Sarah did a double twist into my arms, and I got so happy I threw her back down. And then the DD Squad boys got a little jealous. So that's a little clip. Jumping off a cliff, a cliff, so easy. Just come back into Jesus' arms. And here's another one. 
And that was definitely a mistake. Okay, when it comes to being vulnerable sometimes, that, that's me, that, really, that's me. Um, and when Keith Green says, just jump, that's me. So now we're into the second one in my little content list. Um, and I would say grace is an embrace. If you believe in a gracious God, you believe that faith is in essence an embrace. And we, in this church we'd say, oh yeah, we, we believe in a gracious God. We believe in grace. And what does grace mean? And I'd never really thought about that until someone asked me what I thought it meant. And I, I really didn't know. So in case you haven't thought about it either, I think the most simple basic uh, definition of grace is undeserved gifts. We believe in a God who gives undeserved gifts. Um, with grace, there can be a knowledge realisation gap because that grace will break you. Um, and yet we're so often not broken. So that's something that we need to hold, that, that knowledge realisation gap. We need to hold it um, and not try and plug it with being fake. So let's see if there's any grace in Keith Green's song. And you'll be pleased to know there is. At the very end of it, before it just goes into the fade out, he comes in with this, come away, come away, come away with me, my love. And he says it at least twice. So he's, he's, he's given us that berating and then he plucks out this thing from Song of Songs, which is a, Bible, uh, a book of the Bible that's really about, it's a bit of dialogue between lovers or um, husband and wife. It's like courting, but it's like marriage. And um, sometimes people wonder why it's in there because it's a little bit saucy. And, um, and then the, the Puritans among us will say, oh, well, this is metaphorical for Christ's love for us, Christ's love for the church, his bride, and the wooing that comes. So Keith Green has popped that in here. And all of a sudden, the cross-angry God, the voice of the cross-angry God, melts into um, a husband to a wife or a wife to a husband saying, come away, come away with me. Come live with me. Let's go together. Um, and so that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Thank God Keith Green put that in. On the same album, he's got another song. And this one is really quite special. It's also uncompromising. And it's called Make My Life a Prayer to You. And, uh, and that, uh, that's got quite a different feel to it because instead of God telling us how hopeless we are in this song, it's still uncompromising, like I say, but it's, um, it's us praying in such a, a lovely way. Even just the title of it, I think, is so special. Make my life a prayer to you. And the lyrics say, Make my life a prayer to you. I want to do what you want me to. No empty words. And no white lies, no token prayers, and no compromise. 
I want to shine the light you gave me through your, through your son you sent to save us from ourselves and our despair. It comforts me to know that you're really there. And I want to thank you now for being patient with me. It's so hard to see where my eyes are on me. I guess I'll just have to trust and, and just believe what you say. You're coming again, coming to take me away. And I like to think of that not in terms of plucking out of pain, although we all want to pray for fear, and we, we really can... We loved your story, Martin and Abby, because no, no one wants to stay in that sort of stuff. We want to be plucked out. But this is a different sort of notion of um, coming away with God into a life of faith. So... That's just Keith Green, though. What about Philippians? Let's see if there's any grace in Philippians. Of course there is. I think there's lots of... I think I've pulled out four things, but I could have just kept going through the whole book. So it's a minimal story. But let's look at some of these things together um, from what, what we've just read or some passages there that are key in Philippians. Um, and I've underlined some words. United, tenderness, compassion, love, humility, valuing others above yourself, um, considering the interests of the others. Now, where does Paul get this stuff? Of course, it's Jesus. I don't know if you can see that. Oh, yeah, it's clearer up the, on the other one. Um, this, the, the answer to some of the self-condemnation is that grace has been revealed in Jesus and he's shown his attitude to us. And that's the sort of thing it is. The second thing, what is Jesus doing? He made himself nothing, a servant. He humbled himself, even to death on a cross. What's he doing? What fuels that type of approach, that vulnerable, selfless approach? Well, I would say it's fueled by grace. And I was thinking, how am I going to communicate this? Because I was, it was sort of a bit abstract in my mind. And then I thought of that show, Wheeler Dealers. Anyone seen it? It's not a great show. But they, they buy a car that has some issues. So they buy the, buy the vehicle. And then they fixed issues one by one, paint, engine, whatever, and it's costing them money. They've got all these costs and they add them up and then they, it's an English show, so they like to make a tidy margin. And um, they try and sell it and sometimes their margin gets squeezed. But what they really don't want to do is go into a loss. Now, when you think of that sort of wheeling dealing, it's, it's such a world away from how Christ came. He didn't come to negotiate a deal. He didn't come to, to negotiate a deal. He just came to um, give us that undeserved gift. And this is just the cost. I feel like God came to show us how to love each other and we killed him for it. There may be a grander plan around redemption and sacrifice and so on, but I think that's partly what's going on here. How did it all end? The third thing. Well, it all ended on Easter Sunday. Well, although there's Pentecost after that. Uh, so Pentecost is when 
Jesus had risen and he left and he sent the Holy Spirit to be with us. But uh, if you think of Easter, it ended on Easter Sunday uh, where Jesus was alive again. And this is one of my favourite little bits in the Bible is that Mary Magdalene had gone early in the morning to the tomb where Jesus was um, buried and it was opened up and the body was gone. And she was devastated and she was bereft. I imagine her with her head down and she was crying and there was this gardener there and Gardner said, Gardner said, why are you crying? And she said, and listen to this, she said, um, they've taken my Lord and I don't know where they've put him. If you tell me, I'll go and get him. So she's going to go and get the dead body of Jesus. And at that point, the gardener says one word, which was her name, Mary. And that's when Mary realised it wasn't, it wasn't the gardener, it was Jesus. So when we can't find Jesus, I'd really like to think that he is there for us and that he's saying my name and I, it's my prayer for you that he'd be saying your name. The fourth thing. Who is at work here? And the answer, of course, is God. Now, this, this was actually a church memory verse from when I was a kid. And our church learned a memory verse. And, and it was I think it was only verse 13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Um, so that stayed with me. And maybe that's why I chose to focus on this and it stood out to me. Um, this means that we may will and act for God's good purpose, but it's God who's working. Therefore, it's not our mission to be Jesus. Jesus will do that. That's gracious. So, how do you see yourself in all this? There are some happy, <laughs> happy faces. And here are some of the other ones and I just put that little square one in the bottom there that's the contorted fist of madness um, however we are whether we're happy or not so much we have to be true to Christ but we also have to be true to Christ in us and in our life we have to not try and fit fill the faith realization gap with being fake sometimes leaps of faith go in there quite nicely, but we don't fake it. We have to be ourselves with Jesus. Our story and his story interact to create a new story. Craig Broman from Engage Work Faith spoke to us about five weeks ago in the morning service about mission, and he quoted it from someone else this way. He said, people don't want someone who will cross the sea. They want someone who has seen the cross so tell your own story of the cross, not someone else's. Oh, now I have to, I have to just save some time. Uh, this one says, don't talk to fake people. But I think really don't talk fake to people is also a good little adage. Now let's just remember that Paul had seen Jesus. 
He was being true to Christ as he knew him. But I'm not St. Paul. And neither are you. I'm going to just skim through. Ashley, this one's for you. Ashley's been skydiving today. And um, maybe this is what we come to. We need to tell our own story consistent with what we have seen. Um, And if we're going to take a big dangerous leap of faith for Jesus or a tiny everyday one, we need to do it with Jesus. We need to be attached to Jesus. That's what Paul did too, even though it led him to getting his head chopped off. That's just a cartoon of someone pretending they're Paul, but she can see straight through it. So live out your faith in fear and trembling. So, uh, for it is God who works in you. And I want to pick up on this fear and trembling thing. So uh, how does God work in you? The answer I would say, I want to use the word posit. The answer I would posit, is that correct usage of that word? Um, it's through faith. So, Chelsea, do you want to read that Bible verse there? That's from Matthew. Matthew. Whoops. Oh, it's flat. It's gone flat. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to that to this mountain, "Move from here to there," and it will move. Says Jesus. Faith is more potent than plutonium. You only need a few invisible molecules on you to do most things. I would say that we all have that much on our fingertips now, even if you threw your mustard seed away. Probably the sniffer dog at the airport would, would tell you you've got that much, even though you can't see it. More than enough. Um, uh, and... I have to sort of just skim through things here. But with faith, oh, look, I can't. I'm going to have to go back. The cup of tea analogy. With, uh, with faith, uh, you know, coming to church could be God at work here. It could be God's good purpose. So may, you've all willed and acted to be here. Maybe that was God working in you. I'm flat. Oh, back on. So that makes, that makes church quite exciting then, doesn't it, really? Maybe God has worked in you to will and to act to be here. Now, God, uh, uh, almost anything, therefore, can involve faith. And I knew that various people had said this, that God can be in everything. And my mum says another part to that. She says, God in everything and everything in God. That's what I was hoping to find on the computer, but I couldn't find it. But this one came up, which is very similar. I think several people have said similar things. God is present in everything, in the universe, in creation, in me and all that happens to me, in my brothers and sisters, in the church, everywhere. God is present in everything, In me and all that happens to me. Through faith. Like steeping into a cup of tea. 
So that brings us... Oh, faith in God changes everything. That brings us to this part. Now, Marty, you don't do it till I give the nod. Um, what kind of bird are you? Okay, here's a picture representing my favourite quirky film, Moonrise Kingdom. Now, last week, um, Indy may have likened Jesus to a one-gen singer. This week, I may or may not be likening Jesus to a Boy Scout called Sam. I definitely am likening you and I to a somewhat angsty schoolgirl called Susie with her baggage. The scene I'm going to show you shortly starts on their island. They live on an island with the whole community gathered for a big community concert. Young, old, everyone is there in the community hall. They're all doing just as they have rehearsed. Sam is watching the show with the rest of his scout troop, but he's restless. He's not a passive kind of guy, so he goes searching, roaming across the complex. It's not clear that he knows what he's looking for, but he's determined. He moves through the hall and the rehearsal rooms. He sees many people on the way, but he just keeps moving. He passes by them with some kind of impunity. Only occasionally does he raise passing interest. Dressed in his scout uniform, festooned with various badges, he carries with him an air of authority. He passes many other children, all dressed as animals, some are identifiable, giraffe, lions, penguin, deer, elephants, foxes. Others are nondescript, but animals nonetheless. Most are in pairs, and the reason they're in pairs is because the theme of the concert is Noah's Ark. Noah gathering diversity to keep it safe. Sam enters the building and goes past a group of children in the, one of the back buildings. He goes past a group of children practicing their recorders on the stairs. He checks the drinking fountain. It seems to be in working order. He sees a chicken brushing her teeth on a stool. A group of badgers cross his path. And then, at the end of the corridor, the scene makes a change of gear. He's confronted with something of a Narnian wardrobe. A wall of hanging garments blocking his way. He momentarily stops, as if with a fleeting awareness of some sort of gravity in the situation. He's found the place. Stepping forward, he parts the garments and pushes through. Somehow, he has entered into the secret and intimate place known as the girls' dressing room. As yet unnoticed by the girls inside, he walks in, approaching them from behind. They're all dressed as birds and they sit in a line in front of a long makeup mirror. He clears his throat to get their attention and all the girls spin instantly around. Directly in front of him is a particular girl dressed in black. He doesn't look at the other girls, only her. They lock eyes and they stare at each other briefly. He looks at her sideways like a puppy dog does, trying to work her out. And then he asks her, what kind of bird are you? 
the sparrow sitting next to the girl in black starts matter-of-factly explaining, I'm a sparrow, she's a dove, but Sam stops her. No, he says, still staring directly at the object of his attention. I said, what kind of bird are you? Uh, lost my place. Ah. He points to her as he says it. He has directness and clear purpose. It's her. The girl for a moment is struck dumb. She stares back. She could have told him to leave or that it's none of his business, but it is his business. Somehow it's her business too and she knows it. She will tell him. She will tell him how it is. She will be vulnerable now. So she parts her lips to give her answer. But then she pauses there again, as if on a precipice. There's time for a way out, a final exit. She knows that she doesn't have to go through with it, yet she wills to. And then she does say it, the disclosure and her truth. I'm a raven. Of course she is. The pigeon, however, smells a rat. She informs Sam, boys aren't allowed in here, but Sam perfunctorily placates her, I'll be leaving soon. His answer silences her, but only for a time. He considers the raven. This time he notices her hand, bandaged with blood soaking through at the knuckles. What happened to your hand, he asks with mild disgust. And now the raven gives a very intriguing and a very big answer. I got hit in the mirror, she says. I find this fascinating. Who hit her? She did. She hit herself. She lashed out and she hit an image of herself and also her real self. She did it. Yet it happened to her. And the person who did it was her. Because presumably, at least in that moment, she hated what or who she saw. Sam seems surprised. Really? How did that happen? He asks her. The raven looks down, perhaps with a flash of potential embarrassment, but then back up to meet his gaze before answering. There's no point in hiding anything. She says... I lost my temper at myself. Sam takes in her answer and just slowly nods. You see, Sam is a ward of the state. He knows a thing or two about being rejected. Nobody gets to be a ward of the state unless they've been hurt, neglected, stolen, scorned or given up on. Maybe all of those. Sam knows. That's why he nodded. She looks back at him in her makeup with a bald faced vulnerability or a tenderness. But she's strong too. What's your name? she asks him. Sam, what's yours? He bounces back as if time is suddenly short. I'm Susie. Her eyes, made up as those of the raven, seem to say, Don't hurt me. In silence, Sam nods again. Even her gaze, he understands.
but the sparrow has had enough. It's not polite to stare, she says, trying to pick a fight. And then the teacher bursts in. Birds, ready, she snaps at them and gets a surprise to see the boy in there. Who are you? Where did you come from? Go back to your seat. And Sam turns, zips back through the Narnian wardrobe and disappears. The birds leave too, all except for Susie and the wise owl. He likes you, she discerns. Susie's silence tells her that she knows. She knows that she is seen and wanted. From there in the story, a note is passed at pickup time. Before texts, you see. Secret letters were written to and fro. And step by step, Sam and Susie conspire to run away together and eventually to be wed. And that's where I got the title for this sermon. And if Jesus is meeting you in the everyday with your little tiny bit of faith or big, what kind of bird are you? I thought we would just watch this to finish and then I've got a little prayer. bird are you? I'm a sparrow. She's a dog. No, I said. What kind of bird are you? I'm a raven. Boys aren't allowed in here. I'll be leaving soon. What happened to your hand? I got hit in the mirror. Really? How did that happen? I lost my temper myself. What's your name? Sam, what's yours? I'm Susie. It's not polite to stare. Birds, ready. Who are you? Where did you come from? Go back to your seat. He likes you.
And there they are embarking on their new life together. It was very quick, wasn't it? Sometimes we have to slow down. And I like the little spider in the grass and the stars in the sky when you slow down. Sometimes those little bits of faith show us little things of God. All right, I've just got a prayer. Dear God, I'm a raven. We all are. And we got hit in the mirror. Sometimes it's no fault of our own, but sometimes we do the punching. Thank you that you came through the wardrobe and you found each one of us with our bloodied hand and our rebellious attitudes. Here we are. We can come no other way. I thank you for locking eyes on me. And I thank you that you want to run away with me. And I pray it will be the same for all of us through this life and the next. Thank you that you listen to us even when I don't know what I'm talking about. Thank you for being so patient with me. And please make my life a prayer. As long as I live with big leaps or baby steps, help me to always be true to my existence with you, true to who you are, as well as to who I am with you. Thank you for your tiny gift of faith that makes all the difference. And above all, thank you for Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.